0: valuable and it cannot be held by physical hands, it's probably worth holding on to. This is Immaterial Treasures. I'm your host, Danphy Parker. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Immaterial Treasures. This is Danfi, your host. Today I have Paul Laverne, a registered psychotherapist, who is going to be talking to us about the topic of sex addiction. Um, just a little house. Um, notes or whatnot. If you're listening to this on the podcast, um, you're able to also watch it on YouTube. Um, if you just go on YouTube, it's my YouTube page is Stampy Parker, uh, like, and subscribe and share your comments, questions. Uh, Paul is more than able to come back and give us answers to questions that maybe, maybe somebody may have. If you're watching this on YouTube, you're able to also listen to it on Podbean, Apple, um, Spotify, um, any of the platforms you can get to if you don't want to watch the video and you just want to listen to the audio. Okay, so this is my guest, Paul. Paul, can you introduce yourself and share your story? Sure,
1: Danfi. Uh, thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm really glad to come and, and speak today. Um, I, I guess I guess I I can share a few things to help listeners um, get an idea of who I am and and my story. So. I work now as a registered psychotherapist in private practice in Peterborough. Although I do, um, I have clients all over the place um, because of the miracle of modern technology like we're using right now with Zoom calls and whatnot. Uh, And I'm also a recovering um, addict. So I was exposed to pornography at about age 10 and it was something that was in my life for about 25 years. And uh, it, it became a real problem for me. I was um, uh, married with kids, uh, still had a secret uh, porn habit, and I uh, was, you know, keeping it. Um, you know, I was keeping it on the down low. It wasn't something I was proud about, and something I wanted to to share with anybody. I tried to get help many times over the years. Uh, from faith leaders and other counselors, and unfortunately I found no real competent help from any of those people. Uh, They lacked the understanding of how to to help me. Uh, I finally found a, a fairly good counselor about 15, about 16 years ago and started what I call my recovery from compulsive sexual behaviors. And I've been sober now for about 15 and a half years. Uh, So when I say sober, I mean that I've kept my bottom lines. My bottom lines are, I don't use porn for sexual gratification. I don't masturbate. I have no inappropriate contact with other people outside my relationship. And I don't keep lies and secrets about my sexual behavior. So I have four bottom lines. So, I've been sober for 15 and a half years. Uh, that's verified with a polygraph as well. I took a polygraph with a polygrapher that I used last December and uh, verified the truthfulness of those bottom lines. So, I, I work full time as a therapist. About half my clients, 50 to 60% of my clients, are people that struggle with compulsive sexual behaviors and their partners. And I also travel speak. I've spoken at conferences, at workshops, and I also do trainings for other therapists to teach them how to help people struggling with this. So that's kind of me in a nutshell.
0: It's amazing, commendable, and uh, very uh, awesome that you've been sober for that many years and such an encouragement. So I think listeners listening, um, they're probably wondering, what exactly we're talking about and we need to pretty much kind of like get into the nitty gritty of what, what is sex addiction? Like the term, like where does that even come from? What does it mean? Because maybe people hear that sex addiction and they think like just the worst thing or like, they just like, that's never me. That's something that somebody else that's like crazy and does like pedophilia or something like that. So if you have um, some time, could you define what sex addiction is and how does someone become a sex addict?
1: Right. Uh, so that's a good question. And I I actually don't like that term and I don't use it. it it's a little outdated, actually. It comes from uh, the, the late 80s. One of the pioneers in this field, Patrick Carnes, started writing about um, sexual addiction. And uh, he sort of broke a lot of ground in this field. Uh, but I I don't like the term because for one thing, it creates this idea that it's about people who are addicted to having sex or Mm -hmm. people that have a lot of sex or people that even have a high sex drive. Mm -hmm. And that's not actually accurate. Uh, So I, I use the term compulsive sexual behaviors. So uh, that's an umbrella term and that's an actual diagnosis uh, from the world health organization uh, just two years ago. Published a diagnosis in the, it's called the ICD 11, which is the International Classification of Disorders. Uh, And it's a diagnosis of compulsive sexual behavior disorder. And so that includes a range of behaviors from compulsive porn use, compulsive masturbation, uh, sexting, texting, going to strip bars, seeing escorts, prostitutes, paying for sex, uh, and actually, you know, cheating and having. Serial affairs or a lot of one night stands. So that's that's what it covers. That's sort of um, another. It's what I call another day in the office for me, because I mm-hmm. hear stories like this, and um, yeah. So so it's um, yeah. I don't know what what was the other question.
0: Like <laughs> or, how does so what what are yeah. the what what are like the uh, like the ingredients that would create a sex addict? Like what kind of narrative do these. Um, or you said somebody with a sexual compul- uh, compulsive disorder because that's a proper mm. term, right? And and in fact, I was going to ask you if that uh, the term sex addiction was even appropriate because it almost seems to, you know, excuse people. I don't know. I don't know if that's appropriate to say. Like it's it's almost like um like alcohol addiction or um, I know mm-hmm. it could fall into that same kind of. There's like it overlaps a bit, but yeah. I think that the other parts of the question was like how does someone become or create this sexual compulsivity like like where they Mm -hmm. they really struggle with with their behavior in this way
1: right okay well i'll i'll address that but i'll go back to the last point you just made first so um which was how how uh you know it isn't an excuse so the way that you define any behavior as an addiction is you ask basically four simple questions and you can apply these questions to anything drugs alcohol gambling shopping eating okay Mm -hmm. question number one is have you ever tried to stop or cut back this behavior and failed to do so so if it's yes that's a check mark the second question is have you continued this behavior despite negative consequences yes that's a check mark number 3 is their tolerance and escalation. So if you're an alcoholic, tolerance is pretty simple. You have one beer to get drunk, then it's 3, then it's 5, then it's 10. Or you drink one day a week, then it's 2 days, 3 days, every day. So that's escalation. Right. Right? And the and so with porn, it's um so so with my escalation over the years, I I'm old enough that I started with magazines. Um, anyone that I work with that's generally around 30 or younger has just gone straight to are growing up on the internet. Right. So they've gone straight to internet porn. Right. But over my, over the, the years of my lifetime, I started with, um, I actually people laugh, but the older people get this, a serious catalog. You know, they had the lingerie sections, right. right? So that was exciting though, because you can really see almost fully naked women anywhere else, even though it wasn't sexual. It was it was just kind of more interesting and, and you were as a kid you were curious. And then you escalate to Playboy, which is just naked women, not just, but it's naked women. And then you escalate to Penthouse, which will show couples and sex acts, and then Hustler and so on. And then the 80s came along and movies came out. I mean movies have been around a lot longer, but you can now go rent a VHS. And watch that. So we go from 2D images to fit moving pictures, right? right. 3D. That's an escalation. Then we go, our DVDs come out, um, and then we have online porn. So that's about six levels of escalation that that like that apply to myself. What most people do now is they have the phone, they go uh, they go to sort of um you know vanilla porn and what we call fairly like it's pretty it's pretty hardcore but maybe not as graphic and then after a while that doesn't do it for you anymore so you go to more graphic uh different genres of porn i mean the variety is really endless mm-hmm. so the reason that there's escalation is something called tolerance so as your brain takes in the stimuli from the sexual material it releases a lot of neurochemicals like dopamine being the main one and over time it becomes desensitized to that Mm -hmm. so you need a bigger dose to get the same rush okay so that's escalation and tolerance so that's the third question and number four is do you have withdrawal when you can't engage in the behavior Mm -hmm. so that's a little trickier for some people because it's not always obvious what your withdrawal is when you can't access pornography or you can't access that dating app or talk to the the girls online, but a lot of times they come out in uh, emotion. So it's not a physical withdrawal. It could be a irritableness, anger, anxiety, um, uh, extreme sense of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, right. right? I haven't checked my phone in half an hour. I might have a message from a girl or something like that, right? However, having said that, I've had lots of guys over the years, Danfie, that report physical withdrawal from compulsive masturbation. Because I I talk to guys all the time that they basically masturbate multiple times a day and have for years. So when they go from, uh, let's say, 10 to 15 uh, porn reinforced orgasms a week to none, their body feels a withdrawal.
2: Hmm.
1: So, yeah. So that's there's other questions as well, um, but that's really the four main questions you can ask to determine if something's an addiction. Because uh, someone that looks at porn isn't an addict any more than someone that drinks a beer is an alcoholic, right? right? So you have to dig a little bit deeper uh, and and ask some of those questions. Right. So yeah, and then and then your other question was how do people become that way?
0: Yeah, like what what are the things that that kind of like influence or even provoke or that like is it a trauma situation is it pain is it what? what is it that causes people to become like to choose this as their choice of drug
1: yeah that's a great question too well i always tell clients i say look everyone watched porn the first time for the same reason they were curious and it was available that that's basically it
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know there it is you're curious like you're curious like when you go to the zoo and you see a zebra, right. it's like, that's new and interesting. And you want to look at that because we're innately curious by design, right? But the reason you continue to watch Born is very different. So you can roughly categorize addicts into different types. So one type of addict is a trauma addict. So some people have experienced specific traumas in their life, in their childhood can be sexual abuse or other things. And they act out in very specific ways to that mimic or mirror the trauma that they had because we're trying to reconstruct it and have a better outcome, right? Yeah. So, for example, uh, you'll have a guy, this is a true story. A member of my mentor shared this with me. Um, he was having a six affairs with women all 15 years older than him. And uh, so, you know, we, he dug into his history a bit and uh, found out that when he was a boy being babysat, he was sexually abused by his babysitter and she was 15 years older. And it happened in the car, usually. I, I don't know why, but that's, that's where it was happening. So fast forward 20 years, and here's this guy having six affairs with women. Guess what? They're all 15 years older, a give or take. And guess where he acts out? In the car, mm. right? So, so when you when you hear the story, and this is why I'm always interested in, in the backstories and people's histories, you know, you can connect the dots and you can see how there's a root cause to that. Another type of addict is what I call psychological addicts. So these are people that use to um, use the mood altering nature of engaging in sexual behaviors as a way to self-medicate or self soothe or pain or alter their emotion right so every single addictive behavior or substance is mood-altering or we wouldn't do it right right so what happens is um and there's a saying in addiction that before it was the problem it was the solution so you learn as a teenager uh you're being bullied at school You didn't make the soccer team. Your parents are probably getting a divorce because they're fighting all the time. And you asked a girl out, she turned you down. You got all this going on in your life. And then you discover, like if I go online and look at pornography and masturbate, like I kind of forget about that for a while. Like that kind Mm -hmm. of feels good. makes me, it soothes me. Mm -hmm. Right. And then without, because you don't realize this is happening, but you do that three or 400 times or a thousand times and guess what every single time you feel stressed bored rejected or lonely there's a neural pathway that's formed in your mind that has paired those emotions with the sexual behaviors and just sends you there automatically Mm. so you're bored frustrated and lonely the thought comes into your head let's go watch porn you don't think. I am bored and want to self-medicate by watching porn. no one thinks that right They do later in recovery because we figure that all out right and and a lot of the work of recovery that I do with people is moving them from unconsciousness to consciousness in a sense or unawareness to awareness right right and and uh, or Jesus said it very well, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free mm. right. So the addicts don't know the truth of why they do what they do, right? And I, and I remember spending years like that. I, it's very, very confusing to me why I did what I did. I didn't understand it. Like none of the stuff I'm telling you now, I had the slightest clue about any of it, right? Nor did I have anyone to tell me. I just had mostly really bad, unhelpful advice from the church and from other counselors. Okay, so we have the trauma addict, the psychological addict, there's also what's called a biological addict. And that's a guy that usually they come from good homes, maybe grew up in good Christian families or just good Christian, just good families, mm-hmm. no trauma, no abuse. Um, but they, um, and, and this is more and more prevalent now with online porn, the dopamine hits you get from online porn are so powerful and massive that uh, your brain, you uh, it, it locks onto that very quickly and creates a, a craving for it. A, and it creates a, a liking and a wanting. So there's the liking and the wanting are two separate reward uh, circuits in the brain, uh, but they come together over this common mission, which is to uh, find more porn and, and use it mm-hmm. as often as possible. Right. So they're just straight up dopamine addicts basically. Right. Um, and then you have, it's kind of like uh, I want to say, like a mood disorder, addict, uh, where uh, they have uh, maybe ongoing um, depression, maybe depression, anxiety, bipolar. I don't see a lot of that, but uh, an EDD is a big thing. So, so sometimes you have someone that has um, a mood disorder, say it's depression. So they medicate the lows uh, because if you if you have um, called dysthymia okay which means like your your moods are pretty up and more up and down than like a month than what's normal and you the lows are lower than what's normal like you know everyone has a bad day mm-hmm. but people with this have like really really bad days and they have them more often so this becomes a way of feeling something or feeling better or self-medicating right
0: so yeah that's really good that's really insightful um I guess to uh, to follow along with that description, a very thorough description, how does, so for the road to recovery, does it look different for these different categories of addicts Um, or is it the same? And what's the success rate for people in those different categories or people that have the psychological or the biological reasons for why they do what they do are they more prone to come out of it than somebody who has trauma or does someone who has trauma have a greater success of coming out of it than someone who's psychological biological or mood what's the or is it all the same
1: mm, in a sense it's all the same and and in a sense it, it's not so if if you if you have no trauma okay like everything's easier for you basically than someone who has that trauma like right. just right off straight off, off the bat okay so a lot of let's say you're just a straight biological addict If I can get a guy to limit his access and get through three months of no porn or masturbation, like he really can turn a corner and recover quite quickly, assuming that uh, all other things in his life are being equal, meaning uh, he's part of a community. He's, he's tied in with people. He has friends and family that care and support for him. You know, so, so basically his life is pretty good and he has support. Those people can get out of it pretty quickly. Someone has a mood disorder, like severe depression, You know, they, they, they have to address that. And the, the progress is, tends to be slower. Sometimes they have to get medicated, right? Mm -hmm. You have to get a a lot of people have a dopamine deficiency and they need a good SSRI uh, antidepressant med. So, um, and I've seen it, you know, I'm not a pill pusher or anything, but uh, there's a time and place for that. And I've seen it really help people. Uh, Someone with a lot of trauma and, there's a wide range in there. Like some people have had, you know, one traumatic experience, let's say. And then there's people that have been sexually abused multiple times by various family members to quite severe degree over a period of many years. So there's a lot more to work through and process. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and then let's throw in some EDD in there too. So I've had clients, um, I had a client a few years ago, there's, um, he was a porn addict. And uh, he went and saw, there's a, a quite renowned ADD expert in Barrie, Ontario, named Dr. Be- Bilkey? or Bilky. And he told my client, because my client came back and told me this. He said, I've never met an adult with untreated ADHD that didn't have an addiction.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, that's what I said. Well, I kind of went more like, wow, okay, that yeah, yeah. is that's crazy. Like, that's significant, and I need to start thinking of that and paying attention to that more. So I started assessing that a lot more, right? Because there's there's a lot of natural overlap, like the way the ADD brain works, it really loves novelty. So there's no greater platform to expose yourself to unlimited novelty than the internet.
2: Mm.
1: And then let's throw in a sexual component that creates arousal and dopamine, then that's it's really irresistible. Right. right.
2: right,
1: And then, and then, and ADD brains, like they don't do good at delaying gratification. So that's kind of obvious how it fits into addiction. Cause it's like, you get the thought in your head and you're doing it 10 seconds later. So there, you know, so I see when people sort of get that settled in, maybe get on a good medication or find a coach to help them with that, that can help as well. So it's not, you know, your listeners can probably tell already, it's not necessarily all that straightforward, right? So yeah. you have to, that's why you need a good therapist that knows what they're doing, like that knows how to ask these questions that can make sure like all these pieces are in place.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Wow, yeah, sounds like a lot. Um, how much does shame um, play in the success of someone's recovery or lack of success?
1: Yeah, well yeah there's there's so much shame about this like i guess another question is
0: like where where do those like and most of the people you deal with when they describe their shame what's the narrative that's consistent like what where is the shame being drawn from like being seen by my community um as i truly am being seen if is it is it from like a religious standpoint like i'm so ashamed that like how can god love me um, what, what's, what's the narrative behind some of the shame and how do you like work through that for somebody to, to uh, get over Yeah.
1: That? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll address that. I'll address that. Um, the, the piece about, you know, people in faith community, I, I know a lot of your listeners are, um, from that perspective. And I find actually that the, the clients I work with, with a faith perspective, uh, struggle a lot more with shame it's worse with them mm. like, like your, your average, uh, you know, pagan off the street or whatever you want to call them. Like, just, you know, <laughs> like, like, they're a good person, but they don't have a, a they don't have a very well articulated spiritual, uh, worldview or, or maybe nothing. Maybe they're even atheist or agnostic, you know, they're just there. Cause they got caught by their wife and she's really, really mad. And if she keeps, mm. if this keeps up, she's going to divorce them. So you got to go get help. Right. right? So there's shame about that, about letting her down, and she lets him know in no uncertain terms that she's upset, she's betrayed, she's angry, she's disappointed. So you're hearing this come at you. You know you're the guy that's got caught, and and people need to understand that all addicts lie, and they lie to themselves, and they've mostly convinced themselves that what they're doing isn't really that bad Mm. and no one's really going to know anyway. Right. And, um, I watch porn, but I'm not actually having sex with women or I'm chatting with women online, but I'm not actually going to meet up with them or I met up with them, but it was just oral or hand job. It wasn't actual intercourse. Right. And on and on and on and on. So, they're really living in denial and and really not connected to uh, reality and mm-hmm. if you've never struggled with an addiction or a compulsive behavior that's hard to understand but it's it's very real i see it all the time so just the getting called out and getting caught is very uh, it's unsettling emotionally to the to the addict right mm-hmm. because It's, it's like, um, uh, you know, it's like coming out of a fog, actually, right for them. And I I use that analogy a lot, like when you're in addiction, you're in fog, and you kind of think you know what's up, but you really don't, because you can't see clearly, right? right? Um, So, so yeah, and then um, uh, what was, you had I lost my, I lost my train of thought, Dan what was the other thing you were saying? Oh, oh, no. Okay. I got it. Christians in shame. Right. Right. So, so then, so then, so now we have a Christian that comes in. So, there's everything I just said, plus it's a sin. Okay. Mm. And, and actually, I want to talk about this a bit because I was thinking before the podcast today I'm, and listening to your story on the last podcast. And um, it was well done, by the way. If, if anyone listening hasn't listened to Danfee's story, and, and he talks about the Ravi Zachariah situation. I really encourage you to go hear that because it's great. But, um, so, so you're a Christian and now what you're doing is a sin. Now mm-hmm. I came from a faith background where, uh, it was very much about, uh, victory. So the, the theology, uh, and the way the gospel was presented to me was you're an overcomer. Uh, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Mm-hmm. um, you know, uh uh the the, the the battle's been won. Uh you walk in the victory, you just have to, you know, have faith to claim the victory purchased for you and walk it out. And um, you know, we're more than conquerors. Mm-hmm. Okay. So great. So I'm more than a conqueror, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I just masturbated the porn for the four hundred and sixty third time since I became a Christian. Mm. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. Okay, so, so I'll I'll, I'll go to church more. Like I mean, I go to church three days a week. I used to go to Bible college, lead the youth group Friday, go to church Sunday, go to church Sunday night sometimes, jerk off to porn Monday, and then do it all over again. Right. Mm. So I, I really, this was starting to mess with my head, right? And I thought, well, the pastors and the spiritual leaders in my church, and the books I'm reading, and the tapes and teachings I'm listening to, they seem to be sincere. They seem to mean well. They all have great, glowing stories of how they overcame their sins and addictions and so on, right? Right. So I'll, I'll read the Bible more. I need to read the Bible more, and so I would do that. I memorized scripture. I memorized the entire book of Philippians. That really didn't seem to curb it much. Mm. I know I'll go forward and get prayer at the altar call. So at the end, you know, you go up and they lay hands on you. Dan fee I've had hands laid on me, every demon cast out of me, every bondage broken, everything broken off of me, everything bound, everything cast, everything inner healing. And all of that stuff. And I'm not disparaging any of that, okay? I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way. Right. But that wasn't the right approach, okay? And it didn't help. And if you're a pastor or a faith leader and and listening to this right now and someone's coming to you with this problem, please, please don't make it worse by telling them to just have more faith, pray harder, and read their Bible more, Mm. and send them away carrying a greater. You're just like a Pharisee in the Bible, putting a double burden of shame on that person. And you're not actually helping them get free. And and that maybe that sounds harsh, but I believe that from the bottom of my heart, Mm. there's too many pharisaical church leaders that are increasing the load on people by giving them misguided, uninformed advice. Right. And then there was one more thing to mess with me. If that wasn't good enough, there was always the guy that would get up and give his testimony, but I was a drug addict for 35 years. I drank a bottle of whiskey every night. I was like hanging out with the hell's angels, you know? And then one night I just fell to my knees (laughs) and God delivered me, Um, took it all away. Praise God. I've never touched a drop of alcohol since. Right. Right. And again, I am not disparaging that, okay? Because I, you know, you see the fruit in their life. They really haven't dropped touched a drop right. of alcohol in 20 years, right? Right. However, here's my answer. That's great. For the other 999 people out of a thousand, they're gonna have to do the work.
0: Right, right. And that's that's where. So it's funny you bring that up because I remember, and you know, Alan, Alan, because that's how I met you. Alan told yeah, me, yeah. I asked him. I was like, Alan, because um, I was struggling with this sin, and I, I was like, how come, you know, when I when I first became a Christian, there were certain things I I prayed about, and I was like, Lord, I can't, I can't do this, and it seemed to disappear like literally overnight. But it's like, how yeah. come? And then I'm like, how come this one just hasn't gone away? And mm-hmm. I think Alan said something really important that day. He said. Um, there's a lot of zapping that God does in our life where he'll zap things out of our lives. Right. But oh, in the areas, yeah. in the areas that he chooses not to zap, he's teaching to, he's teaching us to cooperate with him. Right. right? And and that's like the personal <sighs> agency, the dependence on him. Right. Um, right. And I think you were going to go into that. Like, why do, because again, I know you're not saying that reading the Bible, um, having people pray for you and all those things doesn't work because I genuinely believe people praying for me, me reading the bible those things did help but i also seen what you just said that reading the bible sometimes didn't do anything so it's like what are the other things that pastors could kind of like arm themselves with if somebody comes into their office so they don't just say cuz some pastors are really sincere and they'll say you know i actually believe the bible i mean i read that's okay. why i do what i do you know yeah. um but what what how could they be more of a counselor put on the counselor hat uh, and not just a surgeon like where they're just trying to yeah. get out sin you know
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, some, a lot of pastors shouldn't be counseling at all. If you don't have expertise or training Mm -hmm. in that, don't do it. Right. Okay. The other thing is there's still, it's a lot better now, but um, when I, when I became a Christian, I was coming up in the Pentecostal church in the eighties and uh, basically psychology and counseling were worldly and probably the devil and probably going to lead you astray. It's like, get over it, man. Okay. Like, psychology is your friend, okay? Like, you know why God invented cognitive behavioral therapy? Because it says in the Bible, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and cast down vain imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Mm. You know how you do that? Cognitive behavioral therapy. Right. You challenge your thought distortions. You rewrite them. You replace lies with truth. It's all the same thing. And there's still churches kicking around like, oh, counseling, secular counseling of the world and all that. And that psychology is just human knowledge. Please get over yourself. Okay.
0: Or even the element of like, if you go to counseling, you're weak.
1: Oh, well, I, I mean, you, you are, you are, anybody that yeah. goes, you are weak. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with yeah. me admitting that. Right. Right. And, uh, or, or not even weak. It's like, Okay, uh, if for anyone listening here today, that's listening to my voice, I want to ask you a question. Do you know everything? Mm. Okay. You're going to say, I hope. No, I don't. Okay. So when you're stuck, all that means is the um, the solution to your problem requires more knowledge than you currently possess. Mm. So you got to go get it. or it requires a skill of you that you don't have. Okay. So you got to go get it. Okay. So if you're trying out for the soccer team and you get cut, and you're like, Hey coach, how come I didn't make it? He's like, well, you're slow. You're a bit overweight. Your passing is terrible. Okay. Mm -hmm. And your, your situational awareness, you really need to watch a lot of game tape. Great. A coach is sort of like a counselor in a lot of ways, too. It's like, here's the skills that you're deficient in. Right. Oh, that hurts my ego. Too bad. Suck it up. And then if you go learn those skills, maybe one day you can come back and you'll make it.
2: Right. Right.
1: Right. So I don't know how I got on all that. But anyways. um, Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. So if someone comes to you, first of all, most churches they just have their head in the sand in this. Okay. I was just looking up some statistics today in case you asked me and it's like 68%. It's 65 to 70 ish percentage of Christians watch porn regularly. Yikes. And 50% of pastors watch porn regularly. Okay. So a lot of churches uh, just have their head in the sand about this. Okay. Okay. So, and, and like, let's think about it for a second. So you're a pastor of a church and you have a board made up of, let's say you have a pastor and an assistant pastor and a youth pastor. Let's say you're all guys for the sake of just simplicity. And you have a board of maybe 10 people, elders, deacons, bishops, whatever you want to call them. So there's maybe 14 or 15 of you. So eight of you are watching porn regularly, wow. right? You're running a church and someone's saying like, hey, let's get this guy in to talk about it at our breakfast. Or why don't we set up a program, like a small group, to support the people that are struggling with this? Well, the shame they have, the uh, denial they're in, uh, maybe just stops it before it even gets off the ground.
2: Mm.
1: Right. You know, I had a, I was at a conference and, uh, someone from a denomination that shall be unnamed, uh, said, Hey, like, I want to go talk to someone in my leadership of my denomination about dealing with the porn. So I put a whole package together and I said, I'll come in, I'll talk to your leaders. I'll train, I'll train all your leaders on how to run a group in your church and provide the material for you. Okay. and you're going to pay me to do it because i'm not cheap or free right mm-hmm. i just died of apathy and neglect that was a year and a half ago not a single word back mm. and that's typical you know so so churches need to and, and and i should to be fair many churches are addressing this and are waking up to it and i'm again i'm not trying to and- I guess Um, as you
0: say that those churches that are addressing it, how are they addressing it? Because maybe it'd be helpful for churches that aren't, right? They want to know, how do we go about this? Because I know one of the things that, um, I don't know, I don't want to speak for all churches, but I feel like most Christians are are afraid to talk about these things because Paul says that some of these things shouldn't be named even among us, you know? So it's like we get hush-hush when it comes to sexual sin. Um, and, and the hush hush doesn't allow for the conversation to be had so that people would be free, but the hush hush yeah. also creates the shame, which also keeps us in the place of silence and not doing anything. So how do, yeah. how do churches like come to the front, to the fr- forefront of this, own it and talk about it in such a way so that the men in their churches don't feel like, you know what, like I'm never going to talk about it. This is something I have to manage on my own, you know, because yeah. I want to be seen as a good Christian man in this community.
1: Number one, pastors start preaching about it from the pulpit. I, I don't mean a whole sermon on porn. Right. Okay, I just mean, you know, if you're referring to, in in reference in your sermon, maybe you're talking about habits or addictions in general. Okay, so or maybe you do a sermon on how, as a Christian, do we deal with compulsive behaviors or habits. And you yeah. can you can make a big entry point. Let's let's go shopping, gambling, drugs, alcohol, pornography, uh, buying shoes. I don't know, like they're kind of all the same in a way, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then so is, it's very powerful having the leader, the pastor of the church getting up and saying pornography or porn addiction, because all of a sudden you've just set the man free in there to well, you haven't quite done it yet. But you've, you've kind of got their, and trust me, you've got their attention. The next thing you do is, and um, we have so-and-so here. He's a leader. He's a pastor, assistant pastor, myself, someone that runs a men's ministry. Um, you know, he's going to set up a, a private um, chat forum, private Facebook group, or go to him. And we want to make sure that if you're here today in this church, you're getting help for this. Mm. And create an avenue for people to get help confidentially, discreetly, and with dignity. But you have to be intentional and deliberate about creating that space, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember this lady called me from the States one day a few years ago. She goes to a mega church of 4,000 people. I said, how many groups, support groups do they have for guys struggling with uh, porn or sexual addiction? Nothing. Wow. Okay, so there's 2,000 men in the church, and about 1,200 of them watch porn regularly, and there's nothing in the church to help them.
2: Hmm.
1: I, I don't even know what to say. Mm. You got any ideas, Danfee? Because, like, I'm just baffled. Yeah. I'm yeah. baffled. Well, I thought we were a hospital for the sick or something like that, right? The church. or You know, a hospital for sinners. Not a not a museum for saints, right? right.
0: Maybe so. maybe the maybe the reality isn't stark enough for the church for them to know that this is actually a problem. Like I'm how saying stark that stark doesn't have I, I know, to I'm be. I'm, I'm be Is facetious. that stark enough for you? <laughs>
1: that's
0: and that's what I'm saying. Like how right? bad is it? Like Paul, can you tell us how bad is it? Because maybe we don't know. And here's another. This is also tied to this question. Is that I have friends who. Mm perhaps maybe struggle with pornography, but for them, there's like a, there's a denial still, like, like it's just porn. Like Uh I'll get over it at some point. Right. Uh So I guess Uh like it's, it's, it it becomes this thing of like, how do do you snap people out of snap the church out of the denial snap individuals who are probably dabbling with this and saying, well, it's not that serious. You know what I mean? like
1: Okay. Okay. Let's do this. Okay. So you're a Christian. So you believe stealing is wrong and lying is wrong. Right, mm. like those are actual Ten Commandments, right? Okay. So let's say you watch, let's say from the ages of fifteen to, to nineteen, you watch porn three times a week. So three times fifty-two is one hundred fifty-six times a year, and you did that for six years is nine hundred and thirty-six. A thousand, okay? Mm. So if I said, uh, "Hey Danfie, have have you told a thousand lies?" In the last few years, a thousand lies. Like you'd be like, oh my God, like but uh, no? Right. Right? Okay. Or have you stole a thousand times? Have you stole something a thousand times? No. Well, if you had, what would that mean? You'd be like, I don't know, like that's crazy. Like, I'd have a serious problem. Like, I'd probably need help. Right. But you watch pornography a thousand times, but that's a that's no big deal, mm. no big deal, and that's a low number, right?
0: Right, that's a very insignificant number, yeah.
1: And that, and that that's just times, that's not hours. Mm. Uh, I've had clients that have logged eight to ten thousand hours of pornography use, and they're they're not even twenty five years old. So if you're listening and you're thinking, ah, yeah, Paul's off on this. Like what's he's talking, you know, sit down and write it out. Let me know. Let us know. Are we going to post this on YouTube? Post it. I dare you. Right. And I'm not, okay, listen, I'm not trying to shame or blame. I I just, I I come off. I'm a little intense. I'm just passionate. You know, I'm not trying to shame anyone. Right. But I'm like. Stop wasting years of your life, minimizing your behavior and being in denial. Just get help and deal with it. Get it fixed, mm. you know, and uh, but the other thing, and I'll say this, like just sharing about myself for 20 years, Danfie, it never occurred to me I was a porn addict. That blows my mind. I, I mm. can't believe that. I might have said this to you before. Because I thought addicts were like some skid in the ditch with a needle in their arm or mm-hmm. some wine with, like, with a bottle, some drunk right. guy, you know? Yeah. And it's like those pathetic lost souls are addicts. I'm not an addict. I got a wife and kids and a career and a job and I own a house and, and I'm, you know, respected member of blah, 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 whatever. So, yeah. yeah.
0: And based on what you just said there, I'm going to follow up with this. Like, people who can manage life with this addiction and I say manage yeah with I'm doing quotes in the air if you're listening on a podcast yeah. um and they get through life and they go like have you had any clients uh, and I typically okay so what is what's the age group of people that come into your office and they've lost everything you know and 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 like what what is it going to cost somebody if they don't take this seriously? I mean, they just keep going because nothing's re- they've really lost nothing. you know I, I still have a great career i'm I'm doing really well. I don't think I'm ever going to get caught. I think I'll be fine. This is just something I'll have to deal with. I'll be fine. Can you speak to that if we uh, the cost of not taking this seriously?
1: Well, sure because um yeah I have very few clients under twenty five right? Because simply because there's no pain or loss to their behavior, hasn't created any pain, men change from pain, right? Mm. So carry on with your addiction and warp your brain. And if you're lucky, you'll get married before you have porn induced erectile dysfunction, and you'll actually be able to function sexually, you'll be lucky if you get to that point. Okay. And then have a wife and kids and If you're in the church maybe you're on a committee or you're helping lead a youth group or something like that and uh then get caught and let the bomb go off and obviously it's a bigger mess right so it's like choose uh on a scale of one to ten choose three units of pain now or nine units of pain later it's your choice Mm. right but i always tell people say the devil loves for you to not deal with this right now because he'd much, much rather you wait until you build up a huge, huge ministry and a following like a Ravi Zacharias mm. and then expose you.
0: The devil's a pyromaniac. Then expose you. He's a pyromaniac. He likes big fire instead of little ones.
1: Oh, the the bigger, the better, right? The bigger, the better. And yeah, I was really, I was really not much surprises me anymore Dan. but I was a respected Ravi. I wasn't like a rabid fan or anything, but respected the guy, you know, got integrity, got his stuff together. And I just, I heard that. And I'm like, so I feel sad. I feel grieved. I feel grieved, you know? And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's like a cultural denial that we're in right now. And the church is going to be flooded. It's being flooded as we speak with people that are, have a, a, an addiction to pornography and other sexual behaviors. And we need to start getting ready to deal with it as a church.
2: Right.
1: Oh, and so, and just one more thing, back to your question, like if you're in a church, so yes, you need support groups and you need to speak about it and you need to let people know that it's a safe place to be real about your struggles And then you need to have, uh, resources to like send people to good counselors if that's what they need to sort this out. Right. Like, like train people like myself or other people that are trained in this particular thing to help them.
0: Now, suppose there's a guy listening, guy or woman listening and like, you know, I, I'm taking you serious, Paul. Um, and I, how do I go about coming out? Um, do I tell my wife everything immediately? Um, what what would you suggest? Like, because maybe my wife isn't going to be kind, you know, maybe I'm going to lose a lot. Like, can you, can you coach me in how to come out? How do I talk about this? Is it wise to just tell my wife everything right away? You know, is there like a process I should go through? What would you say to this,
1: that? Yeah, this is a very, very complicated question, Dan, Fee, because there's so many variables. All right. So Let's say you've only been married a couple of years, and all you've done is watch porn. Not, not not minimizing that. I just mean that there hasn't been extramarital affairs, no prostitutes, no escorts, no web camming, none of that. And you generally have a good relationship, and you're both generally emotionally stable. There's no mood disorders going on. There's nothing like that. You can sit. There, you can you can. What pulled my earphone out? You can probably sit down with your partner and say, hey, I need to have a talk with you, I haven't been completely honest about something. I've been watching pornography, you know, three or four days a week for the last couple of years, and I've hid it from you, okay? So that that can be a conversation, people have done that, and that can be a conversation that you have. Mm-hmm. Anything beyond that, you probably should get some professional support. Even if it's just a, you know, get a guy like myself or someone else for three or four sessions, to say, give us a way to walk through this. Okay. If it's extensive, uh, if there's an extensive um, history of secret sexual behaviors, especially if they involve acting on with other people, you're going to need help to get through that. Mm. Right, because it's 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 just it's just a complicated road to go down, and your partner is probably going to need help too. And, and I work with, I have colleagues that work just with women that betray partners, right? Because there's, you know, they've been married to someone for 10 years. And then the whole thing just seems like, uh, you know, the bomb goes off. Is the whole thing a lie? Was it all a lie? You know, mm. it's like what you said in your podcast about Ravi. Like, does that mean everything Ravi said and did was just a pile of BS? Mm. Well, no, but the, you feel like that, don't you? Right. Like, right. you know, it's not like you can go watch him speak. Just forget for a second that, you know, this other stuff and you just listen to him. And it's like, yeah, it's yeah. right on, man. Word, yeah. right. word, right? right? But, but you can't pretend you don't know the other stuff, can you? Because mm-hmm. now, you know, the other stuff. And what do you do with that? And and that's why a lot of times you need a person to help you sort that out, walk it through, right? And uh, you know, obviously, I I promote counseling because you know I believe in it. So that's what yeah, I yeah. do. But I'm not I'm not on here to like get more clients or whatever. I have I have lots of those, but that's really a lot of times what people are going to need is right. some professional guidance or help. There's great resources and books out there, and this is the thing, Danphy Never before, I mean, in general. Have there been more resources about more areas of knowledge that people can avail themselves to than any time in human history? Mm. But it's also true for this. There's podcasts. You know, in the late 80s, there was like one or two books written by Pat Carnes on this. Now there's multiple authors written. There's like 30 books out there you can get. There's podcasts out there you can listen to. Mm. There's tons of groups and programs out there that, uh, that you can get churches can buy like, what's that conquer series. And there's like, thing, there's things made for the church to There's no excuse. Mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. excuse. Right. There's, there's help out there.
0: Yeah. So. It's, really, it's really encouraging. And uh, I'd like to leave on a good note. So is there any like um, stories of recovery of people that you've worked with that you can say, you can point to and be like, you know what, this is what your life could look like if you overcame this, you know, like this person or this couple, this is how they did it. And now they're, he's enjoying life, you know?
1: Tons and tons of them, Danfi. Like, you know, I wish I could say everyone that came to me is a, is a great success story. They're not, not all of them are. Sometimes I see clients two or three times and they're, they they disappear. I guess, I guess they chose their addiction. Right. right? And that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but I also, you know, I have clients that before they came and saw me had had literally had a gun in their mouth. They were so depressed about their, they go into the massage parlors and the porn and the lying and the depression. And he was ready to pull the trigger. You know, now they're together. There's been a full disclosure. He's done a polygraph. He's verified his sobriety. He's kept his bottom lines for going on two years. Marriage is really good. Building a thriving business. And there's lots of stories like that, you know, but it's, it's a lot of work and, and um, you know, even, even if it's, it's, pornography is the only behavior to most women they've studied this isn't my opinion they've polled women and studied and asked them if your husband or boyfriend watches porn does is that like cheating and it's like 78% say yes it feels like cheating right mm. okay? So if you're watching, if you're a guy listening and you're watching porn and you go, well, it's not cheating, you're rationalizing your behavior and you're really telling yourself what you want to hear, not what's really going on. Right. Because when your partner finds out, they're going to feel betrayed. Right.
0: And actually, yeah. I wanted to ask more question in the perspective of like a wife before we end. Um. So if yeah. a wife is listening to this and um, you know, maybe she's she's been betrayed and she hears all you're saying, she's like, you know what? I don't, I spare me the, like the compulsive behavior. You know, he, that was just, it's just not love. He That wasn't loving. He's a, he's a cheater. He, you know, how would you speak to a woman who's going through those emotions that just thinks, you know, this is, this, this person just doesn't have the capacity to be love, to be, to love and to be faithful. It's not a compulsive behavior.
1: Right. Oh, you had to throw that one at me at the end.
0: Eh? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, really, that's like probably, an hour. We, I know, I know. That's probably a bigger conversation. Oh, but just a little. A little maybe a little we'll have contact. to come back. If if you're if you're watching yeah. this video on YouTube or listening, if you have questions, just leave it in the uh, video um, on YouTube or whatever, and I can always bring Paul back and we can talk further about whatever question you may have but
1: yeah. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll just give a quick answer. It's it's going to be a little oversimplified, but um, saying someone has an addiction or a compulsive behavior, isn't an excuse. They're responsible for their choices. All right? right. So it's not an excuse. It's an, it's an explanation. It's a model to explain a pattern of behavior. And I, I can tell you that I can't say a hundred percent with a hundred percent certainty for every situation, but in the vast majority of situations I have dealt with, let's say it's the husband that's acting out. His behaviors have nothing to do with him not loving his wife. Hmm. They have nothing to do with that. Yeah. Maybe the marriage has problems. Sometimes it's in rough shape, but I've almost, I, I don't even think I've maybe even heard it once where a guy said to me, I did this because I don't love my wife anymore. I don't think I've ever heard that actually. Hmm. It's not about her. Like looking at porn isn't about the wife's body or personality or anything. It's about his brain. Okay. And and we didn't get into this very much, but basically the, Basically, the reason that we're the, we're seeing millions of addicts created right under our noses is the supernormal stimulus, and you can Google that. A pornography is hijacking the reward center of men's brains. Hmm. That's it. it. Has nothing to do with their partners or not loving them. Yeah. Anyway, I better just stop there because. That's yeah, that's
0: that's a that's a can opener right there because yeah. I, I was about to hit you with a bunch of questions, but you yeah. know what? We'll probably have to follow up on that. That was that was really good and 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 insightful. Thank you, Paul, for your time and for sharing that.
1: Thanks, Danfie. It's uh, my pleasure to come and speak, and thanks for having me. And be happy to come and do it again if you want.
0: Yeah, no problem. So, guys, leave um, questions and comments at the bottom if you uh, if you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you, Paul. We'll see you later.
1: Bye.